right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation uh, chapter 21. Revelation is right there at the very end of, of your Bible. So not as big a deal as you're navig- navigating your phone, but if you're opening up a hard copy, turn back there to the maps and, and back to the left and you find the book of Revelation. And we're going to be in chapter 21 if you like to hold your place for a future moment in the sermon, we're going to look at a chapter from a book called First Thessalonians as well. So we'll start and spend most of our time in Revelation, but then probably the second half or so, we'll go over to First Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you're in your phone, you'll be able to navigate there. If you're looking at a hard copy, we'll be going there as well. Just a quick note about the end of the sermon we get to the end in a few minutes and, and wrap up this time together and, and I pray over us. After I pray, we'll be dismissed at, at that time. Many of you I know will be going to Sunday school or going to be with family, but we'll be dismissed at that time after I pray. But hear me clearly. We come together to hear God's word in order to respond to God's word. And so if you need someone to pray with you, or if you are here this morning and you need to trust in Jesus for salvation— We are not asking you to leave the building. We're asking you to do the opposite. I will be right here at the front, and I would love to pray with you and love to talk to you about God's work in your life. And so whether it's a hard thing at home and you just need someone to pray over you or whether God's at work in your heart and you're ready to respond in salvation, if you're watching this online, that you'll just follow up with a direct message or send me an email or use that link in the comments. We don't want to hear God's word and then say, oh, that was nice, I'll just go, go ahead. When we hear God's word, that it transforms the way we live. And, and today we are getting ready to wrap up this series we've been doing about God's character. Let me just orient you for a second to where we are as a church family when it comes to studying God's word. So the, what we've been doing is early 2020, we finished what was about a 15-month journey through the Gospel of Matthew. So we finished that, and on Easter, we finished with Matthew chapter 28 and talked about how Easter is not the end of the story, that what we see right now, what we experience right now in this world is not the end of the story. Today is going to kind of come back around to that idea. Then we went through this series about God's character and God's actions, and so we're wrapping that up. And then next week, we're going to begin what is going to be probably a 15 or 16-week study through the book of Galatians, asking the question, what is the gospel? So if you see what we've done in 2020, we've dealt with God's character, who is God, and now we're going to ask the question, what is the gospel? What does it mean to understand and respond to the gospel? Just a quick reminder about God's character and God's actions and what we've talked about up to this point. We serve a God who is Trinity. One God, one God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And remember, that's not add-on, extra, super spiritual Christianity. That's the core of our hope, that this is who God is and how he works in the world. He's eternally giving and unchangeably good. At the core of God's character, he is love. That he is giving, a giving father who is good in all that he does. And we hold on to that as the core of who he is. He created all things and he spoke into the world. He continues to work in the world. God's not distant. God is at work in your life right now. That that is the God we serve who is at work even right now. 
He is also a holy judge. He is jealous for holiness. He is light and truth. This is a God who pierces darkness, who comes into our lives. And so, yes, he is loving. Yes, he is good. That's at the core. But he is also holy, and he is also judge. And we're going to talk about that today. Last week, Jim led us through this idea that God is a God who sins. He sends his son into the world, and by the power of the Spirit, he sends us into the world. He is a missionary God, and that impacts the way that we live. And then finally today, we're going to get to this idea that God is the faithful finisher. That God brings everything to its perfect conclusion. He does it according to his character. And when we say the perfect finisher, God's finish line is not actually a finish line into the race. (laughs) When we talk about eternity, we're talking about things just getting started. So God brings everything to its perfect conclusion, which turns out not to actually be a final conclusion, but just a pathway to all of eternity. So that's what we're looking at this morning, is God as the faithful finisher. And because I don't, I'm not very good at saying that, I probably won't say that phrase very many times, but just know that's the direction we're going. Revelation chapter 21. Let's, let's look at these verses here at the beginning of the chapter. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first, her- first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, For the former things have passed away. Let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning as we gather together, as people are watching online, uh, we know after uh, a holiday weekend and and late night last night, God, it's so easy to be distracted in our minds in so many different directions. But Father, I pray this morning that you would remind us of the reality of eternity. We live in a world where there's a lot of things going on right now, a lot of things that are very discouraging at times, things that can be very distracting. But God, by the power of your word, help us this morning to think about eternity and to think about eternity and how that impacts the way we live today. God, I pray that we would be people of hope. God, I pray that people watching today or listening today if they do not have hope, if they feel like they're very uncertain about the future, God, I pray that they would be drawn back to you, that they would be drawn back to trust you and to trust your word and to trust the power of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I was out last week, and Jim was, Jim was preaching. The week before that, my family and I had gotten away for a couple of days of, of vacation. It's a little tricky right now because of everything going on in the world to figure out where can you go for vacation and, and how do you do that. But we were able to get away for a couple of days and, and do some hiking. Now, I love to hike, and, and I realize that hiking is not everybody's idea of a good time. 
my family, they enjoy hiking, I think, uh, when we go hiking, but the, the thing that they struggle with is, Dad, are we really going anywhere? Hiking just feels like you're walking around and then you return to your car. Like, what, what exactly did we accomplish in the process of, of hiking? And so on this va- vacation, we as a family started playing disc golf together. Now, let me go on record to say that I am still, to the core, a traditional golfer. That's my favorite. At the end of the day, it's always golf first, baseball second, and everything else can come after that. And so, but as a family, we started playing disc golf, and it worked out well because it was like this combination of hiking, but you were actually hiking towards something. Because in disc golf, you have a frisbee, a very sophisticated frisbee, but a frisbee nonetheless, and you're... Um, you're throwing at this basket that has chains on it, and you're trying to get it in there just like golf and the least number of strokes. We had so much fun with this. We're thinking about putting a little mini disc golf course out back of Emmaus just so we can go out there and, and play in our back property. But uh, we, we did this disc golf, and it was nice because you were hiking, which I love to do, but you were hiking toward a particular destination. Now, the reason I tell you that story and the reason it's been helpful is this. Sometimes in life, we get this idea that we are just hiking. We're just wandering aimlessly through life. For a lot of people, they are not living their life toward a particular goal. They don't feel like life is moving toward anything. I've heard people say in the last few months, it feels like we're living through a sitcom, except we're living through a sitcom that would never actually get produced because no one would actually believe the script when it was, <laughs> when it was delivered out there. We're living, you've watched sitcoms before maybe in your life and you thought, where is this show going? I know you've listened to sermons from me probably before and you're like, where is this going? Like we're, we're in the middle, where is this thing, where is this thing headed? I want you to know that we serve a God who has a destination for us. In Christianity, this is so important, in Christianity, we don't believe that life and we don't believe that history are aimless. We're not just wandering in this world with no particular future in front of us. We believe that there is a very particular goal. There is a very particular future that God has placed before his people. And so this morning, in a world that feels like we're living in a sitcom that has no end, in a world that can sometimes feel very aimless, here's what I'm asking us to do. I'm asking us to come back together and worship and trust a God who is taking us faithfully toward his finish for us. And it's a finish that ultimately lasts for all of eternity. Now, We're going to see this out of Revelation 21. So if you have your Bible open, let's go back and look at this. What is this finish? What is this goal? What is this finale, so to speak, that God has put before us? Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So John, as the writer of the Revelation, remember, Revelation singular, not not plural, not revelations, but Revelation singular, the revelation of the victory of Jesus Christ, these plans of God that are brought to fulfillment here. John uses visions. He saw, what did he see? He saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
there's always, as we talk about the future and we talk about eternity, there's always this tension between how things are going to be like they are now and how things are going to be new. You always live in this tension between continuity, how things will continue to be the same, and discontinuity, how they're going to be different. So what we find here is a new heaven and a new earth that God is renewing, that God is making all things new and right so that it will be prepared for all of eternity. What does that look like? Verse 2. Verse 2, John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. What is this future? It's holy. It's the imagery of a bride prepared for her husband. And in this verse 2, what I want to remind you of, and I know I say this a lot, but I'm going to keep on saying it. When we read the book of Revelation, when we think about the end times, can I beg you to hold on to the Old Testament, to hold on to the gospel, to the word of God as your way of understanding the book of Revelation and not your web browser or the latest Facebook Messenger video that someone has shared with you or the latest article that someone has sent to you. The way we understand the book of Revelation the way the end times come to fulfillment for us is they come out of all that God has been doing in creation, all that God has been doing for his people. And so the way we understand this is we start to see all of this Old Covenant, Old Testament imagery carried through the gospel of Jesus Christ, finally brought to its fulfillment. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 just explodes with meaning. I, I love Revelation 21.3 here. We're going to go from seeing to hearing at this point, but watch what happens here. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21.3 is the fulfillment of all of God's good plans and promises for his people. It's a fulfillment of creation, you get this idea that God has created the world in order to be able to dwell with his people. You think about Genesis 1 and 2. This idea of God dwelling with his people is carried forward in the temple and tabernacle of the Old Testament. It's brought to a fulfillment with Jesus. How does Jesus come to us at Christmas? We teach our kids, Emmanuel means what? God with us. Jesus comes, John 1 is very explicit about this. Jesus comes in order to dwell with his people, that the glory of God would be among his people, that this dwelling of God's presence happens among the church, and it's our hope for all of eternity. And not only that, this language here, where it says that God will be with his people, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, that language, don't miss this, Thimaeus, that language is fulfillment of the new covenant language that was given in places like Jeremiah 31, is given in the book of Ezekiel. God's promises that he would be our God and we would be his people and we would dwell with him, all of that is being brought to perfect fulfillment in this image. So where is God taking things? Where is God moving things in the future? He's moving it so that we would dwell with him as his people and he would be with us as our God. That's our hope. That's the future that God has before us. And what does that future look like in verse four? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, 
nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now, as a kid, I have to admit to this, uh, as, as a kid, I probably cried a good bit more than was appropriate. <laughs> My parents could tell you, I, I, was a, I was a bit of a crier as a little kid, and then I feel like I went through about a 25 to 30 year period where maybe I cried once or twice, and I don't know what happened around 37 or 38, but I just cry all the time now. Like, I have no idea what, what has happened. I, it, I don't know if it feels like just the pain that I see people around me experiencing, or, or maybe it's just this depth of feeling of wanting people so much to know the good news of Jesus, or I don't know what it is, but I just feel like all of a sudden all the pain of the world has come and I, I find myself emotional and crying about things that, that I wouldn't have before. This promise from verse 4 is not just that we won't cry anymore because that would be socially embarrassing. It's the fact that all of those things that would cause us to cry, all of those things that would cause us to mourn have been done away with. That the injustice and the pain and the brokenness and the sin and the death are no more that they have been defeated, that they have been taken away, that that is where our hope is found. Verse five, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I don't know if you've ever been at a place in life where you thought, man, I could just use a fresh start. I could, I could just use a new start. Like, I've been through a lot of hard things. I've been through a lot of difficulty. I wish things were just new. Like, I could just start fresh. That's the hope we have because of our God who makes all things new. He does that even now. He's in the process of constantly making all things new. You know what God gives us today? He gave you a new day. <laughs> He gave you fresh mercy and fresh faithfulness. Our God who makes all things new will eternally do that for us. Now, what I want you to see here is the way that this holiness and this hope is laid before us. Go to the end of Revelation 21 just for a minute. If you jump down to the end of that chapter, down in verse 22, look at this imagery that's brought forward there. Verse 22, I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So no physical structure temple because God is among his people. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. So much of this imagery we've talked about in this series is brought here. Look in chapter 22. If you skip down a little further to chapter 22, verse 1, watch this Old Testament Genesis imagery here. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Do we have nations that need to be healed? Yeah, we do. Absolutely. This imagery of water, this imagery of a tree of life that is laid before us, that this is where God is taking things. Look at verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. That our identity 
will be secure because of the hope that God has placed before us. What's the foundation for that hope? We'll look back in verse 6 just for a minute. If you go back to verse 6 of chapter 21, so back up to chapter 21 and verse, look at verse 6, there's some imagery here that's really helpful. Back in verse 6 it says, And he said to me, It is done. Now that's language that sounds a little bit like creation. It is finished that the creation has been made. It also sounds like the language that Jesus used on the cross. It's not the same word in Greek, but it's the same concept. This language of it is finished, it is done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek language. Omega is the last letter in the Greek language. That God is saying, I am the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Isn't it frustrating to you when you go to the store and you have to pay for water? Like there's just, I, my uh, penny pincher saving money, it just, it just kills me to have to pay for water. And you know really at the end of the day, you're paying for the plastic that holds the water, but it's still super frustrating to have to, have to pay for water. What kind of life has God laid before us? It's the water of life without payment. What has God set before his people? He has set before his people everything we need for life and life abundant, and he gives it freely. And you say, well, how do I receive that? How do I have that? Well, before we get there, let's look at verse 8, because verse 8 needs to set up a reality for us here. Verse 8 says this, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, if we can be honest, when we read Revelation 21, 1 through 7, and then we see verse 8, there's sometimes an emotional reaction where we feel like verse 8 doesn't belong there, or or it becomes a source of frustration for us, or it feels like a letdown, like, oh yeah, I love the concept of heaven, but this idea of hell, this idea of separation from God is, is very difficult to deal with sometimes from an emotional standpoint. But here's where this whole study we've done about God's character becomes so important. Remember, at the core of God's character, he is good, he is loving, he is giving, he is wise, he is just, and God's character doesn't change. If I've said this not enough during the series, let me say it again so we don't miss this. It's not that God is part of the time loving and good and wise, and then other times he's judge and holy. He is all those all the time, which means that when God judges, that when God's holiness shows forth, he is not ceasing to be loving and good and wise. A God who did not deal with sin, a God who did not remove these things from the presence of his people would not be good or wise or loving. So when you see verse 8, Number one, it forces us to take account of our own lives. This is not a verse to point at other people. This is a verse to take account of our own lives. But also, when you see verse 8, don't miss the hope that this is supposed to be for us. Because what is our hope for eternity? 
It's that sin would be no more. It's that death would be no more. It's that mourning and crying and pain would be no more. That those things have been dealt with so that we can live as God's people. Look down at the end of chapter 21 for me. 21-27. There's a famous verse here that kind of carries forward what we just saw. 21-27 says, But nothing unclean will ever enter that city, will never enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. So what's our hope? How, how could anybody get into the city? But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now this is language that's common in, in Scripture about the Lamb's book of life. It's those who are identified with the Lamb, whose hope is in the Lamb. So how is anybody able to have this future in heaven? How is anybody able to have this life that God has laid before us? It's because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And so I know this feels oversimplified, but I want to say this directly as I can to you that are watching at home, to you who are here. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Don't hear that as old school language. That's biblical language. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Where is your hope for eternity? Is your hope in what you have done, what you have accomplished? We know that's never going to be enough. The Lamb's Book of Life is those who have put their hope in the Lamb, whose life is identified with Him. His blood, what He has done for us, His resurrection, the hope we have for eternity, that that is where we find our hope is in the Lamb's book of life. That he and he alone has dealt with the two problems that we can never take care of. If you're looking for a way to share your faith with other people, if you're trying to figure out how do I talk to other people about Christianity, one way you can do, with, do that is that there are two problems that we can never deal with on our own. Sin and death. Everybody faces sin. We're broken. We're a mess. Everybody faces death, that reality that comes with this life coming to an end. How, just ask someone, how do you deal with the brokenness of the world, and how do you deal with the reality of death? Two things that we can never deal with our own, sin and death, Jesus has dealt directly with both of those, through the cross and through the resurrection. In your life, how are you dealing with sin, and how are you dealing with the reality of death? Our hope is in Christ. At this point, would you go with me to 1 Thessalonians? I know it might take a minute to find it. The verses will be up here on the screen. If you're in your phone and you want to navigate there, I want us to look at 1 Thessalonians because what this allows us to do, 1 Thessalonians is one of those letters of Paul that's a little bit hard to find. It's kind of toward the end of the section of letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote. But if we go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think that this is a helpful place as we, as we think about God bringing everything to its appropriate finish because Paul deals a lot with eternity. He deals a lot with the reality of, of life and death and life after death. But he also helps us think about how do we live now in light of that. Let's start in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and then we're going to uh, catch a couple of verses and back up. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 is where I want us to start. It says this, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Sanctify is that word for made holy. Remember, what is going to be able to exist in eternity? Only that which is holy. God himself is able to sanctify you, to make you completely holy, and to keep your whole spirit and soul 
and body blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope to be holy, our hope to live with God forever, again, is not in us. Only he can make us right. Only he can make us holy. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says this. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is a verse that my wife Amanda will often have people memorize with her when she's doing Bible studies or discipleship. If you need a verse to write on a postcard this week, to stick in front of you, to make a wallpaper on your phone, if you need a verse to focus on this week, can, can I call you to focus on 1 Thessalonians 5.24? We have a God who is faithful, and he were, will surely do what he has promised. And what, he, what has he promised? He has promised that those who trust in Jesus, that he will make them perfectly holy, that he will bring to completion what he has started the way that Philippians chapter one says. The ending of the book of Revelation where it says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. The hope in the word surely, that what Jesus has promised he will do, and then we call out, come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, amen. That he is faithful. God is faithful to finish what he has started. God is faithful to keep his promises. Your life and all of eternity is headed toward a particular goal, and God is faithful to take us there. Now, here's what we need to think about. Because God is going to bring things to a finish, and because God is faithful, what does that look like in our lives right now? How does that impact the way that we live? Look at this first slide. Because God is faithful, because he finishes, there are two things you can't do much about and will quickly dominate your life. Yesterday and tomorrow. What causes the most anxiety in our lives? What dominates us and makes it tough to live? The shame and the memories of yesterday and the anxieties and uncertainties of tomorrow. Those things will clamp down your life so fast. What do you do with yesterday? Well, you need to process it. We need to learn from it. I'm not saying to close your eyes, especially if you've suffered trauma or difficulty in the past. We need to process those things. We need to learn from those things. But we don't live in the past. Because of what we learned about God's character this morning, we don't live in the past. We don't want that to dominate us. And guess what? Tomorrow, who knows? I feel like 2020, the emoji is just this, the guy with his shoulder shrugs. Like, who knows? Uh, I, I put a picture out on social media this week because, in all honesty, I found my 2020 calendar this year, and it was still in the packaging sitting right next to the trash can. And many of you pointed out it was in exactly the right place. It was in its package sitting next to the trash can. That's what 2020 feels like. Guess what will ruin your life? Living in the past and worrying about tomorrow. Those two things will dominate us so fast. But God has set us free from both of those. So instead of that, what should get your attention? If yesterday and tomorrow are terrible gods, what should get your attention? These two things, eternity and today. You can do very little about yesterday and almost nothing about tomorrow. But what we do need to focus on, Emmaus, is we do need to focus on eternity and we do need to focus on today. Eternity, that we would prepare for eternity. 
that we would face the reality that this life is limited, that we have one life that will come to an end much faster than we can ever imagine, that we have been given one life and eternity is set before us. And we can close our eyes to that, we can play the ostrich and stick our head in the sand, or we can say, no, I need to take account of eternity. And then I need to figure out how I'm gonna live today. And the question is, does the way that I live today show that I really believe in eternity? Does the way that I live, the way that I speak, the way that I act, does it show an eternal direction for my life? Where is my life headed? Where is my life focused? I wanna walk us through these verses in 1 Thessalonians 5, and then we're gonna wrap up as we think about, okay, I'm focused on eternity. My hope is in heaven with God. How do I live today? Look at verse 12. Let's back up and pick a couple of verses up. Verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. First thing. If your life is focused on eternity, if you believe in the hope of heaven, right now our life should be characterized by peace. Living among the people of God, trusting the hope that comes from being part of a church, and living as people of peace. If we believe in the hope of eternity, we're not spending our lives purely on individual pursuits, and we're not spending our lives constantly competing with others or trying to prove that we're better than others. We live as, pe- as the people of God living in peace. So how do we check Emmaus that we're really focused on eternity? Are we living as a church of peace? Is that true of us? Look at verse 14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. It seems like when Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians, he's writing to a group of people that were thinking so much about eternity that they just kind of checked out of work. They're like, yeah, I'm not going to go to work. I'm not really going to do much because I'm just focused on eternity. And Paul says, if you're focused on eternity, guess what God is telling you to do right now? Get to work. That we should not be what it calls here idle, that we should not grow faint of heart. If we're weak, we need people to help us. We need to be patient with one another. We're not going to repay evil for evil. We're going to focus on doing good. So Emmaus, how do we know that we really believe in the eternal future, the hope of heaven? We are at work right now doing what God has called us to do sharing the gospel with our neighbors and with all nations, doing good to people around us, being patient with one another, and if you see people not living in a way that honors God, coming alongside them and saying, let's go, we are in this together. We are going toward a particular future. Look at verse 16. So peace, doing work, verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. How do you know you're focused on eternity? You're a person of prayer and a person of praise. How do we know that we're a church that's focused on eternity? We're a church of prayer and we're a church of praise. Look at verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. 
How do we know that we're focused on eternity? We recognize how much we need the Spirit of God right now. God, we need your Spirit to show us what it looks like to live as your people. We have a God who is taking things toward a perfect end that he has established. But I want you to see this quote that comes at the very end of the C.S. Lewis Narnia series, at the end of the last battle. It's a quote that we used on Easter here, but I want to bring it back because I think it's a a good way to wrap up what we're talking about here. At the end of the last battle, C.S. Lewis says, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Friends, we have a God who is good and loving and wise, who is holy and just, and who is going to take everything to its perfect conclusion. And what we have to ask ourselves is, where is our life headed? What is the direction of our life? Is it focused on eternity? And if it is, does it show up in the way that we live today? And let me just say one more time before I pray that if you are uncertain about eternity or if you are uncertain about what it means to stand before the Lord, as soon as I pray, I'm gonna be up here at the front and if you're watching online, we want you to reach out to us. We want to make sure that we are living in the right direction and that that impacts the way we're living today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you use the Bible. You use what it means that we gather together even on Sunday morning like this, that we need to get together in these ways to remember the hope of eternity. We get caught up in day-to-day life. We get caught up in things that are going on in the world around us. And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to feel like, man, where is this world headed? We know exactly where it's headed because of the hope and the truth that's found in Scripture. And God, I pray that that would change us. I pray, God, that even showing up this morning to sing together and pray together and study Scripture, God, I pray that that would change the way we live this afternoon. God, that we would live with peace. We would be people of intentionality. We would be people of prayer and praise. God, we need the power of your spirit. Help us to focus on eternity and help us to be faithful in what you've called us to today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for being here, Emmaus. It's so good to see you this morning. I'll be up here at the front. If you're watching online, I'd love to connect with you afterward as well. God bless you. Have a great day.